I'm talking today about faith. And God has spoken to me a lot about faith while I was preparing it. When Sam told me, um, prepare something that God is speaking to you. And I was like, why are you being speaking to me, God? What, what? So, so many things, isn't it, that we could use that God speaks to us every day through so many situations. And I've been listening to a lot about faith, a lot about faith. Um, a lot of it comes to, like, uh, like, heart for the house and buying new buildings. And it's great that this is great, you know, that faith can achieve those things. But I felt that there is so much more to faith than that. And I'm, I will have to start this telling you my very weird toilet episode of small faith. Don't kick me out here, okay? It does happen when you're in a toilet. Faith, okay? And bear with me. Don't think there's a bit of a dodgy talk. Um, I was in the morning getting ready to work. And if you know, I work with horses and I was going to help on a farm. And this farm is quite on the coast, so it's very, very cold. It was kind of a cold, windy, rainy day. And I like to wear something to protect my ears, and I could not find it. So while I was getting ready, walking around, I was brushing my teeth. That's why I was on the toilet. I was brushing my teeth, and I was talking to God. I was like, God, I really need to find my headband. I cannot work without my headband, because if I do that, my day is going to be miserable, because my ears are going to hurt, I'm going to get my migraines, and that's not going to be good. Help me find my, my headband. And I was looking everywhere. And as I was brushing my teeth, I heard God, using my own voice, okay, why don't you look in your working bag? Do you know how I know it was God? Because I spoke straight after. Don't be silly, it's not going to be there. I haven't used it in ages. Sorry, I did speak like that to God. Sorry, he knows, he understands me, he loves me anyway. Right after I spoke this way, that feeling of like, oh, you of small faith. Oh, you have little faith. And I apologized to God. Watched my mouth apologize to God, literally. And I went to look on my working bag. What did I find in my working bag? My headband. My headband. And straight after that, I, I, I drove to Caldecott and I was just like, what else? What else if I just decide to listen to you? Will you show me? What else if I just decide to focus on you? Will you show me? So my little toilet of small faith has brought all this into place, all this message, and I've been studying it for the past month, two months, because I wanted to understand faith. I wanted to understand the relationship we have with faith and, and why that's so important for a Christian life. So I'm calling it Amazing Faith. Did you know, as you read the Gospels, that the most common reaction to Jesus was, oh, they were amazed by Jesus. They were amazed by his teachings. They were amazed by his miracles. They were amazed by his knowledge. They were amazed by who he was. But the Bible also tells us, in two times, that Jesus was amazed by something that people had done. There was two episodes in the Bible that says that Jesus was amazed by people's faith. Now, that's that kind of a, Reverting the papers, isn't it? The roles. What did they do? Or as we're going to see, what some of them didn't do that caused amazement in Jesus. So the first one that I want to read with you, I think that will be in the screen. It's Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. 
I'm going to go through a lot of um, different uh, translations of the Bible, but it's the same book, promise you, it's the same message. So this one is the NIV. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Ta-da! Where did this man get these things? They asked. What this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Well, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They said to them, a prophet, sorry, Jesus said to them, a prophet not without honor, except in his own town, amongst his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracle there, except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. It does make me chuckle a little bit, because when, <laughs> when Mark says he could not do any miracles there, except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them, and I was like, whoa, that's a lot that more than a lot of people out there. But, you know, what else could he have done if they had just had faith? Clearly, that was under Jesus' standards of amazing Jesus. So he was amazed at their lack of faith. But then in Luke chapter, 10, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, we hear a completely different story. When Jesus finished saying all this to, to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. How do you say that, Sam? Capernaum? Yeah? Good. Thank you. Uh, there was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you to do this, because he loves our nation and has built a synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith, even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith. And got me questioning myself, what has to happen for Jesus to be amazed by my faith? What have I got to do? What does my faith today look like to Jesus? And clearly on my little toilet episode, it didn't look that good. Would Jesus be amazed by my lack of faith or by the abundance of it? And do I depend on my own experiences to define my level of faith? Or do I look at what the scripture says? God, I just ask you that you speak to us as we do it today, as we, as we explore faith. And I ask God that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart that you present to me, God, be always pleasing. Be always, always pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So from these two stories, part A, we're going to look how we need to adjust our faith. So first, we're going to adjust my focus in Jesus. So I'm going to use a lot of me and I, because as I prepared this, I was learning. If you consider yourself also to be on there, so if when I say me, you say me as well, me too, that's for me. Adjust my focus in Jesus. In the episode of Nazareth, they couldn't see the forest because they were staring at the trees. I love this. The familiarity with Jesus you know, created that contempt. They grew up with Jesus. They grew up playing tag with Jesus. They grew up seeing Jesus be- become a carpenter and take up his parents' job. So they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. He just saw Jesus as a regular man. And I do wonder, I do wonder sometimes when, especially we're in church, and we know people from our walks, you know, we start to hear about, the, uh, about their stories, we, we listen, you know, what, what they've been through, and then we start seeing them serving, and we start seeing their hearts being poured out to God, and we start seeing them following their calling and their ministry. What do we do? Do we propel them forward and we, you know, encourage them? Or we say, what? A drug addict serving in the church? What, an alcoholic? No, 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 hang on. He used to rob a bank and now you're actually allowing him to serve here? Oh, that girl. Mm. Not good past, really dodgy. You let her serve in worship? Or do we say, you know, I can see what Jesus has done in your life. I can see that Jesus is now the master of your life. And now you're serving him. So how is my focus on Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our life? Jesus, with his ministry through us, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the ministry of Jesus because they only saw him as the carpenter's son. And actually, the way they spoke it, it was quite offensive. They didn't spoke to Jesus as Joseph's son. It's Mary's son. Speaking about, well, that birth was a bit dodgy, wasn't it, Mary? Holy Spirit, hmm, don't know, not sure. That didn't go down well. They couldn't take it. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. But the Roman centurion, he knew who Jesus was. He said, you know, I understand who you are, Jesus. I understand your authority. I understand that you are the son of God. I understand that you have the authority and the power to heal just with your word. You don't even need to come into my house. You have control over everything. So the first lesson I learned on these on this two texts, I have to adjust my focus in Jesus, in who Jesus is, what his power is able of doing. Then I learned I need to adjust my, the focus on myself. In the episode of Nazareth, it says they took offense in Jesus. For me, when you take offense on something, it's because you're jealous. There's no other way around it. Okay? If you took offense on, you know, someone having a better voice, you know, singing pretty or, or, or being skilled on something, if you take offense then, I think you're just a bit jealous. And that's what they were. They were jealous of Jesus. They couldn't see someone coming from the same upbringing, from the same city as Jesus came, from the same place, and actually from a very dubious relationship where his father was not father on earth but was father in heaven, how can he do that thing? How can he heal? How can he have authority? We don't understand that. We take offense on that. But in the episode in Capernaum, 
in Capernaum, I can't say that word. The Roman centurion, he sent Jewish, Jewish elders to speak to Jesus. Why did he send Jewish elders? Because he didn't think he was worthy of speaking to Jesus. He's like, if he is the king of Jews, he came to save the Jews, I am not worthy to go and speak to him. So I'm going to send his own people to talk to him. He had this humility to him. He knew that his place was nothing compared to who Jesus was. He understood Jesus' authority. He understood who Jesus was and that he was not worthy. And I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not worthy of Jesus. I know I'm not worthy of the sacrifice. There is no good deeds enough that we're doing deserve. No songs I'm going to sing, no messages I'm going to speak to you that's going to ever be worthy of the love that he poured down on that cross. Ever. Ever. You know, but that centurion was highly thought in the Jewish community. It says here, maybe he could have used that. I have built the synagogue. I am good. I give offerings. I give money to your people. But no, none of what he's done enough for him was credit enough to speak to the Savior. He knew who he was when he was facing the Savior. He knew he was falling short. I also learned also I need to adjust my focus in orders. In Nazareth, the author tells us that their lack of faith stopped Jesus from doing many miracles. It says he could not do any miracle there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, any given day, one healing from Jesus, you know, would have made my day. Wouldn't you? You know, Sam, you testify a lot of miracles that happen. That makes your day. You know, healing a few sick, come on, Jesus, you're on fire. But compared to everything that he's done everywhere, elsewhere, that for Jesus wasn't his Jesus' standard level because their lack of faith. But this text shows that not only our faith as individual, but as faith as a community has an impact on what God has for our place. And I'm wondering, our faith as one church, what our faith as one church is doing for this city, for Norwich, for our students, for this community, for the homeless in Norwich? Is our faith being used to propel the gospel, to reach out into the city or our lack of faith is stopping the impact that the local church needs to have. What is our faith doing to this city, to this community? Is my faith allowing this community to thrive, to learn, to connect with Jesus? Or is it actually moving Jesus away from the city? In Capernaum, the author of Luke's gospel says the centurion servant was very dear to him. The centurion reached out to Jesus, not for any personal gain, but for pure love and compassion for for the servant. It starts saying, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered to Capernaum. Now, when the Bible says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, it makes you question, what was all this that he'd saying? And I found it really interesting that Jesus was talking uh, in one of his messages. And when I looked through what Jesus was 
saying, did I write here? No, I didn't write here, sorry. Um, one of the messages was, love your enemies, love your neighbor. And if you know a little bit of story, Roman Empire was actually in control of all the area in that time. So being a Roman, depending on what circles you were walking, you were not that loved person. And particularly to one of Jesus' disciples. One of Jesus' disciples was, correct me, Simon the Zealot? Simon, isn't it? Simon, Simon the Zealot. If you don't know what Zealot is, he's this nationalist kind of... Um, oh, what is the English word for that? A, a, a rev, revolutionary nationalist. So he was fighting the Romans because he didn't want the, the Romans to dominate over that time. So... After Jesus saying, love your neighbors, he enters into the city, and then a Roman centurion comes, asking Jesus to help him. After saying all this, after saying, loving your neighbors, then the only ones that would put him on the cross came to ask for help. I wonder what was on Simon's head you know, after fighting so many little fights with Romans because he didn't want the Roman Empire to take over. I wonder if in his head, like, I wouldn't heal it. Don't care how much money he gave to the, to the synagogue. We would be able to do that. Maybe not in a year, in 10 years we would, but don't need that money. Don't need the Romans. Or was that actually? Now, Simon, let's learn what faith really is. Loving your enemies. And that's what Jesus told us. Adjust my focus in others. There's a lot of things out there we don't agree to, is it? A lot of opinions, a lot of lifestyles. But nevertheless, our faith should be impacting those lives. Our love should be reaching out regardless. Regardless. And I feel that sometimes the more I talk about faith, the meaning gets a bit lost. I feel a bit abstract what faith is. Faith in Portuguese is fé. And it's still, <laughs> I can't interpret what is faith. I can't give a meaning to faith. And I kept asking, okay, I'm talking about adjusting my focus in Jesus to have faith. I'm talking about adjusting my focus in myself to, to have a faith that amazes Jesus. And I'm talking about adjusting my focus in others to have faith. But what the heck is Faith. What is this thing that I'm thriving for so I can amaze Jesus? So in Hebrews 11, we have uh, the title of Hebrews 11, Faith in Action. Right, got my hands rubbing because, okay, that will give me some answers. What is faith? What is this thing that we talk about? What is faith? If I ask each one of you here, what is faith? I can guarantee each one is going to give me a different answer because we have our own experiences with faith. God has mended faith from us in different circumstances. So it could be on a bad relationship, it could be on a financial relationship, it could be on studs, it could be on work, it could be family. It's so many different things that we are required to have faith. So what is faith? So I start reading this and it was an amazing morning before work and then God just started pouring down and I've read this so, so many times, and I have different colors, even highlighting it for different times I read it. 
but never in the way that God showed me, because my question for this time was different. I said, what is faith? What do you want from me daily so I can amaze you with my faith? So it starts like this. Now faith is the confidence, sorry, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Great. Answer lawyer questions, didn't it? I got so many more after that. Thank you ever so much, Paul. Really, really helpful. Faith is confidence in what we hope and assurance about what we do not see. Doesn't make it any easier, do you, Paul? No. The message says this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. Now this makes a bit more sense. Faith makes life worth living. And as you read through it, it goes, this is what the ancients were commended for. In verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, still a little bit. <laughs> right? Still can't see. But from here I understand that faith is knowledge is understanding who God is. As a biologist, I, I struggled a lot in uni because I had a lot of people asking me, how can you be a biologist and don't believe in evolution? And I said, how can I be a biologist and do not believe in a creator? Day in and day out, Classroom after classroom, I saw his craftsmanship, his workmanship, his perfection of creation. Everything worked together, knitted together in perfection. I am not, I am not the fruit of a big bang, of a messy explosion. No, no, no. The Bible says I am wonderfully and beautifully made that was knitted together. This whole universe was knitted together for a purpose. And that is my faith. That brings me to know who God is. He's a God who is perfect. He's a God who is a father who created you for a purpose, who brought you together. He planned you as you are for such a time like this and for the purpose he has called you. Now, the faith of having God, knowing his craftsmanship, knowing his perfection, gives me faith to believe that, yes, he created this world from only his spoken word. Because that's who he is. And he brought this into existence. This is special design that he created. Faith is understanding who God is. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's word. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. In verse 4, by faith Abel brought God, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. Faith is worshipping an offering. That's how you can live life with faith in action. Worshipping God. Offering to God. And we're not talking only about money. 
Okay, we do bring tithes and offerings to the house of the Lord. We do. But what else are you doing with your time? What else are you doing with your calling? We all are called for a purpose. And we live a life with faith as we put that calling into practice, as we bring it to God. Now, I tell you, none of us are ready for that. We're not. I wasn't born speaking. Well, I speak a lot, but I wasn't born in speaking. And I wasn't born with knowledge of the Bible or anything. It took a long time for God to prepare me to one day be here speaking to you. But it took my first step of doing it. The same as for Sam. Same for Thiago. When he was told that he was going to be a pastor, he probably chuckled, didn't you? No offense, babe, sorry. But, you know, you're great. Sorry. She still doesn't believe that, but God is good. God is good. So faith is worship, is offering. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It, it, was, sorry, it was what he believed, not what he brought that made the difference. So God's not, not looking that you, you're going to be the perfect version right now. He's expecting your first step. What you're bringing, your heart when you're serving, your heart when you, you're offering to him, that's what he's looking for. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. Verse, four, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from, his, from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And in and the, the Passion Translation, it says, sorry, and the Amplified Translation says that he had walked with God and pleased him. And that was granted him as righteous. So God took him away. And for me, it reminds me that every day I needed to walk with God. Not only by taking time reading the Bible, by taking time praying, but literally walking with God. I was talking to, to the girls upstairs earlier on. And I, I, I spoke to them of the first time when, after I got divorced, I, I walked into this, this empty house. And as I walked into this empty house, I actually stopped on the doorstep. I opened the door, and I moved out of the way, and I said, God, you first. Of course God was going to be there. But for me, I had to make that. Because I said, no, I am in step into the unknown. I don't know what life is going to be right now. But I know who is going to be with me. God, you first. Enoch walked with God. He lived in righteousness. Faith translated Enoch from this life, and he was taken up into heaven. He never had to experience death. He just disappeared from this world because God promoted him. For before he was translated to the heavenly realm, his life had become a pleasure to God. Oh God, may my life become a pleasure to you. And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God, to amaze Jesus. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. So walking with God is faith in action, actively seeking him, seeking, searching God in everything that you do, in everything that you do. You know, even the episode of your small headband, 
God was good enough to reply to me on that one. What about we take a challenge this week and see God on the little things where we have ignored him our entire lives? Give him this more. Stop expecting the miraculous all the time. You know what? Um, Bruce Almighty, who ever seen that movie? Yeah. You know that scene that he walks out of the cafe and starts singing, I've got the power. And then like the, the what explodes, the skirts, and all miracles start happening. I think that's what we expect of Jesus, don't we? And when we talk about faith, that's what we're expecting. That all-powerful, mighty faith. And then we put a burden on ourselves because we're not healing anyone. Because we're not making um, uh, someone's eyesight return or cancer stops or, or their financial situation change just with the power of a prayer, the power of a word. But there are so many other ways that faith can act through us. And the last time I talked to God about it, I was like, am I doing this wrong because I haven't healed anyone? He brought me a girl who I spoke ages ago uh, when I was working back in Brazil. And I think I was her supervisor, and we spoke for ages, and she was going through a lot of on her marriage. And when I left that job, she came to me and she said, thank you, you helped me save my marriage. God said, what about their healing? Just because you didn't see it, just because you, it, it didn't grow like in front of you, it doesn't mean I didn't work a miracle. So faith in action has so many ways to work, much more than the supernatural that, that we have imposed in faith. There is much more to living a life in faith. Right. Verse 7 and 8. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the word and became, became heir of righteousness that is in keeping faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Faith in action is obedience to God. And that's hard. That's hard. Because I want something different. I want something right now. I want God's blessing, but I want it my way. I want God's blessings. And what this word tells me is blessing, but not what God has been telling me that he has promised me. Obedience is difficult, but obedience is faith in action. Obedience in, in faith, Noah built the ark, when no one knew what a rain was. No one even knew what an ark was. You know, it's very weird, very weird. By faith, Abraham left everything. He left his homeland. He left the security of his house, of everything that he knew, to the unknown, by faith. How many of us can say that we left our comfortable zone in a step of faith? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, I know. I know. And I'm not saying it because I, I do this. I'm saying this because, God, I need you to help me with my obedience. I need you to help me to, to look for what you are asking of me and not what I think I need to do. I need to learn to be more obedient to God so I don't need to keep going back and begging and pleading for him to solve the situation out. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call. Abraham stepped out in faith. We need to step out in faith. Faith in action is also sacrifice. By faith, Abraham, at the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. Acting in faith, 
he was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this after he had already been told, your descendants shall come from Isaac. Abraham figured out that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that's what happened when he received Isaac back, alive from the altar. So faith is sacrifice. Living a life of faith in action is not going to be easy, and we will have to sacrifice. But we're not sacrificing for nothing. We are sacrificing for a God who loves us, for a God who has good plans for us, who knows what is in store for us, and he knows that what he has for us is much better than what we are sacrificing. For us, what is a sacrifice right now? When we look ahead, when, if we had the knowledge that God has for us, we would see the reward coming. And that was a sacrifice. It's actually um, dropping that weight. That was nothing. That wasn't going to get me anywhere. Faith in action is sacrifice. Knowing that God has something much better. And he who's promised is faithful. He is faithful. Faith in action blesses others. Right. It's not all about us, is it? Living a life of faith in action is not only about me, me, me. Faith in action blesses others. Verses 20 and 21. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Faith, life in faith, blesses others. Help others. Look out for others. There's a word down there that is in need. And you have what they need. Faith in action blesses others. Faith in action hopes and longs for what God has promises or has promised, sorry. Verses 13, 16, and 22. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. But they couldn't turn back, for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater, that is, the heavenly realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed of any way to be called their God, for he has prepared the heavenly city for them by an act of faith, Joseph, while dying, prophesied the exodus of Israel and made arrangements for his own funeral. So faith believes that this here, all this, is not for us. This is temporary. We know that faith is God preparing a heavenly city for us. It's what he has promised. This is an eternal life in him. So everything that's here is temporary and everything in there is eternal. By faith, they long. By faith, we long for what God has promised. And I will tell you, a lot of them didn't see what God had promised. Abraham saw one son. He was going to be the father of nations, but he had one son. But he knew that through Isaac, his descendants would come. And today, he is considered the father of the Jews, but his nation. Faith longs for. Think about the apostles dying for that faith, dying for that man that they claimed resurrected from the death, and it was their savior. They didn't see Jesus coming back, but they knew they knew, I love that verse when Paul says, I ran the race, and now I go, and I'm just waiting 
because I'm going to be joined with my God, with my Savior. I ran the race. He knew that he is the race, but the podium is over there in heaven. Faith in action does not fear. Verses 23 and verse 27. Faith prompted the parents of Moses at his birth to hide him from three months because they realized their child was exceptional and they refused to be afraid of the king's edict. Holding faith's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if he had seen God who is unseen. So many times in the Bible we hear, do not fear. Faith in action does not fear because we know who holds our future. We know who has the plans for us. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Doesn't mean he's going to give us the, new, the newest car, the newest Tesla that's all fancy and green. Doesn't mean he's going to pay all your mortgage in blink of an eye. But it means that he's a God, that he will be with you every step of the way. And he's preparing a place where no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, nothing is there. Only him, only him. Faith in actual humble us. In verses 24, 25, and 26, faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the Pharaoh's son's daughter, so, 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 oops, that was completely wrong. As he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity, choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses preferred faith's certainty above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. He found his true, his true wealth in suffering, abuse for being anointed. More than in anything the world could offer him, his eyes looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate. Faith, great reward. Faith humbled Moses to not look into what Egypt had to offer. Egypt was the biggest nation at that time, rich, prosperous, everything. But he knew that that couldn't come with the suffering of his people. And his purpose and his calling was more than that. He could have, you know, got his head up and say, I am the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. But no, he said, no. There is more to come. There is a promise. There is an ultimate goal. And that's where I am heading to. And he humbled himself with the people that at that time were slaves. And he fought for them, and we all know what Moses did in his story. And last but not least, faith redeems. Faith, living a faith in action life brings redemption, not only to your life, but to people around you. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to despise. It was faith that put Rahab into Jesus' genealogy. She was a prostitute. Who was she? She was no one. She was a sinner. But faith in God saved her. Saving God redeemed her. And living a life with faith in action brings us redemption. Brings us to a relationship with Jesus that nothing, nothing in this world can ever compare. There's no riches, there is nothing that can ever be put on that table 
and say, would you rather all this or would you rather Jesus? I hope if I ever come to this, this, this choice, I would say Jesus. I'd rather Jesus. I'd rather faith in Jesus. Be redeemed by him because I know that this will perish. Life as I know today will perish. But life as he has promised with him will be an eternal, an eternal life. So that's what I understood that God was telling me about faith. And I hope that as much as I have learned, and I'm trying to adjust my life now to be able to live this faith in action, I hope that, that you have learned. I hope that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you can see in your everyday life that you can live a life in faith that is much more than bargaining with God. Faith is not a bargaining chip with God. We don't do faith to get things from God. We live in faith because he's the all-deserving. He has proven time and time again that there is no one else on who I should put my faith other than him. He's the almighty creator. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the savior of the entire universe. All humanity needs faith in him. There's nothing. There's no one better no one more qualified to put my faith and live a life of faith. A life that I call amazing faith. Not because I'm amazing, but because when I think about Jesus, when I think about God, I just want to see the smile. I do sometimes when I, when I have these moments with God, and especially the toilet incident, I picture my dad. Because my dad has this, this face. If you want to not get to know my dad, uh, my fiancé does a very incredible um, impersonation of my dad. Um, but my dad has this very calm and very loving uh, way on him. And I always imagine God looking at me like, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. And when I amaze him, when I get out of my training wheels on my bicycle, he goes like, you go, girl. You're doing it. I'm amazed at you. I want to live a life that when God looks at me and he, he's going to smile and he's going to be amazed because the life I'm living is no longer for me. It's for him. And if you feel that this life is also for you, I want to invite you to pray. In Luke 7, 5, the apostles, they said to Jesus, increase our faith. Show us how to increase our faith. And I ask time and time again, God, show me how to increase my faith. How to live this life that will amaze my Savior. Because he deserves it. Because he deserves it. In Mark 9, Mark 9 23 to 24, there was this man and he was asking for his son to be healed. And Jesus, Jesus said, what do, I, what, what do you want me to do? He said to Jesus, oh, if you can, please heal him. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And that happens to us. We do believe, but there are moments that become tough. It becomes really tough. 
And our unbelief sometimes overcomes our belief. And I don't want you to compare a mustard seed or, 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 or say anything else about faith. I just wanted to, to ask Jesus, help my unbelief and turn that into belief. Help the moments where, where I struggle to have faith in you because I'm not seeing, because I, I can't touch it, because it, it doesn't make sense. Help me on those moments and help me with my unbelief. If that is you, if you want today, Jesus, I'm standing here. I'm not going to sit down because that is me. I need Jesus to help my unbelief. I need Jesus to increase my faith. I need him to teach me. And it's going to hurt when he teaches me because it hurt a lot this week. I was proved and I was tested this week. It hurt a lot. But you know what? I know that I'm on stage of plus one on my faith because he helped my unbelief. And if that's you, I want to ask you, just get on your, on your feet. Just get on your feet and then just start speaking to God and say, you know, God, please help my unbelief. Help me on those moments where I cannot believe, I'm not strong enough to believe, where I can't push it any longer. Help me, give me that strength. Help me, my unbelief. If that is you, if that is you, please get up on your seat. You don't need to, to come into the front, but get up. Get up and start praying. Some if you could come and help us to pray for it. Oh, I can't come here. Help us to pray for it. Please, God, we ask you, God, we ask you, God, that this world is bringing a lot into us, God. This pandemic has brought a lot into our lives, God. But help us in my unbelief. Help me see Jesus, you, and the beauty of your salvation. Help me see you and the craftsmanship of your plans for my life in an everyday, in the little, in the medium, in the big circumstance. May everything be you, Jesus. Help me my unbelief, Jesus, because there are days I cannot believe. There are days I struggle, Jesus. There are days that are really hard and I don't know what else to do, but help my unbelief. Help me to increase my faith, Jesus. Not so I can get more things from you. Not so I can go all powerful and mighty, but so you can go all powerful and mighty, Jesus, through my life, in the city, in the people that I meet up, in my college, in my work, in my football practice, in my relationships, Jesus, help my unbelief so this world can see more of you, Jesus. Help my unbelief, Jesus. We pray, God. We pray because we need you. We need you. Hope. We need your hope. Faith is what we hope for. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. We believe, God, that you created the whole world. We believe you that you're the all-powerful God with an intelligent design that has created this world to your perfection. I believe that you created me, that you needed me in my mother's womb and you put me in this world for a purpose. I believe that I'm beautifully and wonderfully made because that's how you planned it. Help my unbelief when I don't believe that I have this. Help me my unbelief when I don't believe your calling you called me for, when the purpose you put me here. Help my unbelief. I believe that you want me to sacrifice more to you, God, so help me sacrifice more my time. Help me sacrifice, God, my own desires to you. Help me on my unbelief, Jesus. Oh, help me, Jesus. 
Help me to always be more of you and less of me, Jesus. Help me on my unbelief. Help me when my unbelief wants to bless and heal someone else, God. But my unbelief asks me, what if you don't? How going to explain, God, if you don't? Help me, my unbelief, to step out in boldness and say, I know my God will. I don't know how, but I know my God will. I know my God will save that family. I know my God will redeem my husband's life. I know my God will redeem my brother's life. I know my God will redeem my father's life because he doesn't believe in Jesus, but I know he will. I don't know how, but he will redeem your father's life. Oh, God, help us in our unbelief, God. Help us in our unbelief. Thank you, Jesus.